What's up, Florent family? Welcome to the huddle. We're here every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central to discuss maintaining forward progress in your flooring career. Uh, pretty much any trade uh, career, really. But um, since we're all in flooring, we that's where we live. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking <laughs> about, about. Yeah, that's what it's about. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking about bidding. Uh, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, we were discussing estimating best practices. And although they can be very similar, uh, we kind of look at estimating and bidding uh, kind of in two very connected silos. So the bidding to me is more of what you deliver to your customer. Your estimating's in-house. You take all that data and you create a uh, an actual proposal. So some of the best practices on delivery of proposals to general contractors and as well as end users or maybe even your um, you know a, a residential end user. Um, I'll just kick it off with a couple of things. Uh, one is when you're sending when we're sending out proposals to our general contractors, we try to have consistency from a uh, an image and and data delivery standpoint to the GC. So our our bid proposal forms are all the same; they're written in a PDF format so that our our uh, the different estimators or project executives sending out bids can't go off the rails too far so that the format of the proposal is always the same. It always has, um, you know, our project notes, our job specific uh, exclusions, and then our standard exclusions that apply to almost all of our projects. The difference between bidding to a general contractor or bidding to an end user is typically with a general contractor, we're bidding off a set of plans and specs. So we'll state that we're bidding per plans and specifications dated this date. And these are the scopes we're bidding. With, from uh, this drawing? Yeah, this sheet, this date. Um, we recognize any addendums that we've, gotten uh prior to bid which is important because we've had plenty of times not be delivered in an addendum and it did affect our scope and we had to revise our our bid and um you know the the gc that receives those bids knowing that i did not recognize a particular addendum that had come out uh he knew that he needed to let me know, get me the addendum. I was able to revise the bid before, you know, the bid uh, time. Um, but with end users, I typically go deeper and give them an actual scope of work. And I'll build that scope of work out, telling them every single more detail on every single item that I have figured. So that's kind of how I do it. What about you guys? How How's your... Um, How's that landscape look for you I mean, guys? You probably should have let us go first, Paul. You didn't have to lay it all out like that. Now we're going to go and say, oh, we just get crayons and colored pencils and draw a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, well um, something, something's going right. I mean, uh, you know, Daniel's in Las Vegas with a, a gold wall behind him, so. <laughs> you know, it's all about perception, right? It's all about perception. That's why he's there doing that, but. Uh, you know, we're still we're still very much in the in the learning process of it. Like, uh, I think from uh, starting out, getting a lot of practice in the labor only, and then realizing how many details were actually left out when we were awarded the project when we helped bid on it, helped us kind of structure our own process, uh, so to speak. Um, now, we we do have uh, like I said right before we started. We don't have like an identical template that we all work off of, right? I mean, they're all similar because they come from the same program. But uh, the conversation we just had prior to made made me realize that maybe we should have an identical checklist, so to speak, with everything like that. But um, well, that's what this thing's about. A lot of times, I yeah. you know, frankly, we we were friends 
and we talked on the phone. But at the end of the day, these, I mean, we learn from each other. You guys have taught me right. stuff and, and I've, I've hopefully brought value to you guys as well. And that's what I think this is about from our audience as well as us together here. There, uh, there's plenty of ways that you can do it, right? Because everyone has their own way. And typically when we're doing it, we're um like the, the when we were talking about estimating measure square, that's the program we use. So uh, when we're building out our, you're doing our takeoffs and stuff and adding products in there. When, once we submit the bid, it's all line items. So you get, all your materials and all your labor line items 100% there with us already. But um, depending on who you're submitting the bid to, we won't, you know, give them the price for every single line item. It's going to be, this is what's included. This is the, then after that, it's, we explain, you know, this is the scope. This is what's excluded. And then right at the, the bottom, we always say, like the biggest thing is one prep is cosmetic only and yeah. two moisture testing should be done by a third party, not us. Can you, can you, uh, go in, you just, uh, brought something up there. That's really intriguing to me. When you say cosmetic, is that understood by the clients? Um, so, cause I think that's a great way to say it. And we, we put no. like this plus, Plus or minus, you know, we try to be like small cracks and and uh, variations in an eighth within an eighth inch, excluding skim coating. I mean, it's all this stuff that you got to say. Yeah. Cosmetic is a really kind of encompassing term to use, I right. think. Is and I think that's we got that from um, William Thornton from Tarquette Sports, and that's what you know. Talk to him on the phone. My brother talked to him on the phone a few times, and it's like. That's one of the one of the things he said. He said, including oh, your God, prep so cosmetic only, because anytime something structural happens, oh, this concrete is chipping up. Well, I don't do the concrete. I don't do anything structural. I'm just yeah. making the, oh. the top coat pretty so that way it can accept flooring. And when you yeah. when what would you guys not do in part of that cosmetic flooring? Let's say at a saw joint, you have a half inch lift. Uh, from one side it cracked the concrete did what it was supposed to do and cracked at the saw joint and then lifted and you got a quarter inch or let's say a half inch difference between one side of the saw joint and the other i think that all depends on uh how we bid it too right because sometimes we'll include in there that um you know like light grinding or something like light that. grinding um, um, or, or, you know, we'd like to go walk the job first. So we'll say we, you know, we'll put in there this and we'll mark it on the print too. And we'll say, you know, this cut joint was, was peak. So it includes grinding on this cut joint. But um, especially when you're bidding and you're going in blind and you can't really see anything um, like say new construction, you, you get the plan yeah. before anything is even going up. And then you walk in there and the the construction of the concrete, you know, they put in a bunch of additives. You walk in there and every cut joint is peaked up, right? So um, what we do is, you know, we we assess that after the fact. And since we, they already know that it's cosmetic only, and if it's really, if it's something like that, you have to look at the the science behind the concrete and explain to them kind of, all right, we can grind this down, but after we do that and we patch it and we put resilient floor on it because, you know, a lot of LVTs, <laughs> sheet vinyls, it could, the, the moisture in the concrete could, you know, equal, equalize. And then this could essentially create a, a divot or, or something Barely like that. Bowl, so we we kind of explain all that to them. And it's like, does it mess with the structure still? I don't necessarily think so, unless you're like drilling and putting in like spray foam underneath it, trying to make it not move. But we just have to be really thorough with uh with explaining to them. But that's the thing is once you read some of these bid specs, they are not thorough in their explanations either. Yeah, which uh, is why we, very have, 
exclusions and things like that because yeah. it's not perfectly clear. You got to draw the line somewhere. And even on, you know, as you use the term uh, cosmetic, you know, basically the way we look at it is we'll do all your cracks and saw joints and small holes, but then you get into a situation where you get to a job, it's it, say it's new concrete and get to a job and it's getting VCT down hallways and it's chattered everywhere, just complete chatter. It needs a grind and skim. We would not do that as part of our project. That would be a change order. Right. Do you guys approach it the same way? We have, we, I think that's where we are. Yes, no, I'll, 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 yes, we are starting to. So, so the problem that, that we're having is, and that we've had in the beginning is that we approach everything as the installer, right? Like, even if you were to look at some of our proposals or, or bids, like they're in systematic order. Like we have all the material at top and the material is in sequential order from install from start to finish. Um, <laughs> and same thing with, with all the line items. You know, we start with the removal and I work all the way down until the finished product, right? Because I'm doing the job in my head and that's, I'm making sure I'm not missing anything. Um, so we were very much all inclusive in 100% of our bids in the beginning. And started realizing that man, we just we're just getting our we're getting our asses handed to us on this. How are these like why are they coming in so low? And then um through the the Freedom of Information Act, you can actually have access to some of the, the bids that uh, you've lost uh um, Publicly, to other, other companies. Side. Yeah, yeah, on the public side, sorry, on the public side, not like private anything in the private yeah. sector, but so we start looking at that and then we start like um, deconstructing our proposal and seeing where, what was left out and how we were left out. And uh, fortunately for, for us, uh, we've been in, around for a long time, not just as preferred forms, but we've been around long enough where people are, people are willing to answer questions, right? Like everybody excludes everything. They just exclude it and say not, not, in, not included or this is excluded from proposal. And they have a whole list of things and it's like, Oh, so that's where the flaw for the contractor or the end user, they're just looking for the bottom number and they see that one that one number, that's all they're looking at. It doesn't matter if you have one sheet or a thousand sheets. They just look at that last number and say, finalist, finalist, finalist. Um, so we're, we're learning yeah. that, but fortunately for us, some guys say, let's go look at their line and let's see why they're, they're a little bit more or less you know because i know that they're including a lot they look at it differently um i would say um you know we try to do it as fair as you can but you can only bid if you're bidding off a set of plans and specs you can only bid what the documents are telling you you start digging in and using your your spidey senses and flooring too deep and you you're gonna get thrown out unless you give them a reason here's a little trick we use um like if there's a reason in the documents that we're gonna we feel like somebody may not notice something or if it's in a really obscure spot in the plans that we think it's gonna make us high we put that like specifically including this thing whatever it is, let's call it, uh, you know, some, some uh, moisture mitigation, but it's not in its own spec and it's only listed on a detail in the drawing or something. And I want a job in Ponca City, a $380,000 job over this. And it was because I specifically stated that I have moisture mitigation figured underneath all flooring as stated on this sheet detailed this and that got and the value of that was $120,000 so yeah I had it in my bid but I also told them the value of that and that it was included in my overall number that made them make phone calls and and no one else included it right Correct. So it, ha it went back out for rebid and I ended up winning that job. So you can use something like that to go ahead and add it. 
one thing I wouldn't do this just I, it's not a trick it just I don't send out an RFI on it if I feel like I have something like that that's going to make a GC question someone else's low bid versus mine and I got a, a a note that I can put in there that'll make them think oh my god we got to go with them they they read everything this is obviously in the drawings because he listed the sheet and the detail number and everything and in last minute I've been in the war rooms as they call them of GCs plenty of times they are scrambling and if you can give them a big note stating a lot of times they'll go with your number because even though you're high because they know you have everything figured and especially if you are telling them where you seen that in the documents. So That's a, I like that. I, like I that don't send out an RFI because I don't want them to go, then go to an RFI, send it out for all bidders to know, find what I found and, you know, use that. I've also, you know, I'm kind of spilling the beans here, but I've also <laughs> found notes in specs particularly in the tile spec and they'll say you know um for example they'll say you know waterproofing membrane or something or they'll say epoxy grout per uh tcna 118 blah 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 whatever i'll go look that up and see if there's a discrepancy between the tcna book guideline that they're rec uh, referencing and what they're telling me to do and if there is a uh, discrepancy, particularly if it's in my favor, uh, I will note that and say, we're going per TCNA guidelines and you're pretty safe in that manner in doing that. And you also then end up creating a scenario where the, you, you can get a competitive advantage over your, uh, competition just by, you know, kind of digging in a little deeper and finding the 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 method that works best. Um, so, so you're saying a little bit of knowledge about the product and, and uh, some extensive training prior to doing the estimating could actually benefit your bidding uh, opportunities. Wow, who would have thought? Well, well, not only that, and if, if he ends up losing that and someone else wins it and it's not for TCNA and then that job ends up getting messed up, they're going to end up Losing a bunch more money anyways. Yeah. Well, and on top of that, um, you know, if you're going per TCNA guidelines, which a lot of times that's where it's found. That's where your advantage will be found because they want you to install per industry standards, regardless of what an architect tells you to do most times. Because if they're telling you to go outside the industry standard, then they can start to get scary close to voiding a warranty. But it, so if you're laying on the side of industry standard and it's going to give you the advantage because you took the time to go into your TCNA handbook and actually look into it and and discover that you can create an advantage for yourself. I like the way you said that you... Um you separated that number and actually put it in there. You know, this is the cost of the mitigation. Cause I talked to an, an electrical engineer. Um, he's actually my son's uh, baseball coach. Uh, and he said that when they go out to bids, especially when it's someone, you know, they're training someone new, they say, you have to ask these questions to make sure all these other people are going to be including this stuff because we're not going to not include it. So we need to make sure that, Either they're going to include it or the GC knows that they, they're supposed to include it, but they didn't on their bid. That way, it's a level playing field for them. But I can kind of see it both ways to where it's an advantage for you if you do and an advantage if you don't. Yeah, either way, you're in a better situation than not doing anything, obviously. But, uh, right. you know, if you if you just if you're reliant uh, on them getting an RFI and then, or sending an RFI and then getting an addendum. Now you, you have leveled the playing field. You're back on par with everybody. What I did was it also makes me come off or us come off more of an expert, like, because yes. we did this because we found this and this is here. And you, you, you know, when you note it like that, I'm giving them the amount to deduct off my overall bid if they want to get apples to apples. So I'm still giving them the mechanism to get there if they need to. 
but um you know in the in well, the I, I like heat of the battle and, it, it doesn't it doesn't always happen they're just like use that number because the it's it's got to be right and sometimes well, if they have time, they'll even go check but well i have a question for you so like um well, it's kind of like a little statement and then followed by a question um the statement that i'm going to make is that essentially when you're doing that and you're breaking it out and you're providing that information to the contractor you're showing them that you have their their client or the end user's best interest uh, at play there. And uh, I guess my question is, uh, would be, it, and, and I'm sorry if I sound green or, or, or a little naive, but when they have these final meetings and they're going over, going over these uh, final dollar amounts, do you think that some of this information is actually um, shared with the end user or the, the the guy who's paying bills at the end of the day for this whole thing, or is so, this uh, they've already got their budget and their approval and they're not sharing anything as long as they're within the the, the dollar amount or those parameters? Um, it kind of it, it depends on the end user, but there's a lot of times they get down to the nitty gritty with the end user and have to explain to them why we use this guy or why we use that guy. And a lot of times, if you've positioned yourself as the expert you using this example uh which this was a uh, a public safety center down in Ponca City uh, you know they they had to go back and rebid the thing and they had to go show the owner why now as a construction manager this bid has to be redone and then we got to rebid it again and uh, we won it but we would have not won the job had that note been on there they would have gave the job to the other crew and, and then the mitigation would have been done i mean yeah. that's the thing too is especially when you have it separated it can be to the point to where this is how much it's going to cost for this but after the moisture readings come back if you don't need it then you just take that line item right out of there yep yep i like that i like that that's a great so piece of information there. qualifying your bid is and 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 making it clear how you have what you have figured and why um sometimes it'll kick you out but we find more often than not you'll find these little nuggets in in the jobs where i mean we've had it from um just bathroom elevations calling for schluter metal but then the finish schedule calling for bullnose something that simple we find out what's the cheapest one and that's what we're going to figure oh it's funny it's just because both are both are there you know which way do you go if if all things equal like it's a good set of elevations and a good finish schedule i mean which one do you trust so we'll find so, out so, which one's the cheapest and submit on that and, and then once you figure, once they figure out, oh no, we wanted this. Oh, we already won. So this is this is the change order for this. Then, correct. Yeah, and and I know that change orders get a bad, they get a bad rap. They do. But a lot of the time, it's out of our control. Well, and I'm not against them. I don't think they're a bad thing all the time. I mean, the bottom line is, the architects love you guys if you're on this call. But you know, they get paid six percent typically of a project. So on a $10 million job, they're not doing too bad to create a good set of bid documents and then manage that process through. Right. With a good GC, the manage the process through part is basically them uh, approving the general contractor's application for payments for the owner. I mean, at, at some point, the GC is doing most of the management, but in the early days, doing the homework and really getting those plans and specs done that's what they're expected to do. And so all you can do is read off of those. And a lot of times yeah. your expertise is going to tell you something shouldn't be done that way. That's when I would say, if you feel that way, clearly note it and make sure that, you know, sometimes we'll even give the cost. For example, we did a bunch of uh, uh, elevated bathroom shower floors. Well, it, the specs were so terrible. Uh, the drawings were not great. It showed that it was depressed. And so we figured mud setting had nothing to say about waterproofing or what type of 
It had a plumbing pan liner, the rubberized plumbing pan liners that are rubber sheet, which are terrible for a commercial depressed floor, yeah. system, especially when you're only mud packing, say, two and a half, three inches. You need a, a liquid applied. Um, and then there are certain uh, waterproofing membranes that, um, like MAPE HPG, can be used as a plumbing pan liner if you do it per their uh, instructions. All that being said, I knew that our our number, that process is way more expensive than somebody taking a piece of plastic or a piece of rubber sheet and laying it in. And a lot of times the the plumbers do that. So the flooring guys don't even do that part a lot of times on jobs, putting the actual pan liner in. It'll go down when they put their drain in and then you hope it doesn't get a hole in it which is another reason never to use them. If you're on this call, I'd say try to switch those things out for liquid pan liners anytime you can. But I knew my bid was going to be higher. And I said, per spec is my bid. Is my bid. Here is what's really recommended by TCNA. Please add $27,000. They accepted my base bid and we ended up change ordering to that number. That's um, awesome. Helen that, Cassidy that says, uh, putting details in the room finish schedule, does that ensure being seen and followed? I think that just depends on how thorough someone's going to be with reading through the paperwork and then actually going through and then, like you said, checking out the discrepancies. This shouldn't be done that way. And it's either, like you said, you go on there and say, this is the base bid, how you're specking it. This is what should be added to get it, you know, to spec per these standards and either that or submit an RFI, right? Yeah. A lot of times I'll put in what I like tiled the most in this because there's the most variances here. Um, but there's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And you got a handbook that is recognized by everyone, right? The TCNA guidelines, right? That's been around forever. We don't really have something that strong in resilient or in carpet that holds its weight as much as the TCNA guidelines do, the TCNA handbook. So a lot of times if they'll reference something in, in um, if they don't reference anything like this job I was telling you about as a multifamily with, you know, uh, recess slab student housing actually with recess slabs for the showers they didn't put nothing in there so I referenced the TCNA guideline even if I lose the job I'm kind of trying to help them out and I'm I'm positioning our company as the experts I mean we're we're using the industry standard and it shows that we're you know we at least open that book and uh, consider it when we're bidding I love that. You're just uh, you're dotting your eyes and crossing your teeth and making sure that they're aware of that. Right. You know, you know, something you just made me think about too is, uh, and, and, and I don't want to go get too far off track, but if we have to dissect these plans and 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 all of their terms and and go by their master contract, why are they not dissecting our our bits? Right, like like are they? It almost because they got uh, six it, months to build the drawings and about. 60 minutes to get the bids in because people you know, subs none of us send our bids in super early to gc's because you don't want them shocked and you don't want them to call their buddy or and and even if, i've had it happen where even when i had a good company that i've done a ton of business with some pm from another company comes and joins their company and now he's in charge of running this bid and yeah. he's friends with someone else and picks up the phone and lets them know so, you know, they're getting bids in up to the last 15 minutes of the job. Yep. Typically, if a bid is due at 2 o'clock, two I'm submitting at 155. Yeah. Like you're submitting within 10, 15 minutes of the project because you don't want to get shopped, do all that work for nothing. And so they don't have time unless you bold something out really big. And even even the bigger GCs who have like, they'll have an estimator that just handles finishes and then an estimator that just handles the structural and then an estimator that just handles, you know, mechanical and electrical or something of that nature. Sure. Uh, you know, I still think best practice is to 
make it clear what you're bidding and then also clear what you're not bidding in some cases. Um, so it just depends on the bid, obviously. You can go through a thousand different scenarios, but the, the real key is what can you put on that bid that gives you a strategic advantage, right? Right, and how can you approach it? It's a competition. And like I said earlier, change orders are not the demon that everybody makes them out to be. They're necessary as part of the construction process. And the better that the architect is, typically, the better that the 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 less amount of change orders you're going to get. I mean, the better the documents are, the least questions there are during bid time, and you're going to get a more, you know, accurate bid from all parties. But sometimes that's not possible either. And sometimes the owner doesn't want to pay the architect as much money as it would take to, you know, kind of take it past the finish line. And so the architect has to kind of pull back in some ways on some of the services they provide. And that's when you get kind of a crappy set of drawings. Um, so anyway, it's, it's about kind of trying to find the nugget that at least this part of the discussion has been about like, where's the nuggets that you can either expose or take advantage of that give you the best possibility of winning the job. As long as you approach that in an ethical manner and you're not trying to like clearly cheat somebody but the fact yeah. is, if you're new, using your knowledge to give yourself an advantage, that's an earned advantage. Right. And not only that, it's knowing your reps to, especially when, you know, they're giving you free reign for like value engineering or something like that. Or, and it's really common these days, especially because you just can't find some of these products or they're 60, 90 days out when after the bid is one, they're like, we're starting next week. <laughs> like, when can you get in yeah. here? So yeah. we, we had a project that was like that when, you know, they spec the carpet. It was super expensive. The It wasn't going to get there till like two months after they wanted to be done with the project. And I was like, look, we can go with this other product. It's the same color scheme. It's the same face weight. It's going to perform the exact same. And it's going to save the client $8,500. It's like not all change orders are bad either. Sometimes, right. you know, you give them money back and the, the crazy thing is with that is by doing that sometimes your margins actually go up because it's a it's a less expensive product and you have a lot more wiggle room there to to work with so your margins can go up a little bit even though you're selling a a less expensive product yeah i mean <clears throat> at the end of the day when you're you know you're kind of talking about price per effort. So you got to make more margin on lower end goods than you do, than you have to on a higher end good. Uh, that's how we look at things. And so if we have a $65 yard carpet, we're not going to bid that at the same margin as a $10 yard carpet. Correct. So, you know, um, the effort doesn't change. So you need to make sure your margins are covering all your overhead costs, uh, unless you get into your estimating practices of figuring overhead and approximate hours of overhead and all this management fee and building that all out. We do not. We look at it like this is our raw, our heavy costs. We're going to mark up this line item this much, this line item this much, and on on through. And, um, and then we produce our bid off of that. So as we were talking here, you know, presenting of the bid is really what this is all about. Give yourself a reason to be looked at, right? Uh, it's kind of like the resume thing. I was taught a long time ago, like have your bid form, a professional looking bid form. Your guys is, sounds like it's a professional bid form. You want it to be something that, um, you know, stands out a bit. And then B is just make sure that you're, uh, and also recognizable. Like if you guys are the firm, I've talked to, you know, plenty of people, you guys up there have a great reputation in Michigan. So when somebody sees your form with your logo in the same spots, the same, they get that your, their, their brain recognizes it. And they at least want to look at your number. It, go, you it goes back to the, the branding episode that we talked about, right? Yeah. You got you to gotta stay on brand all the time. Yep. Once your brand is recognizable, then 
you know, that automatically makes people think, ooh, I know who that is. Let's take a look at that one. Yeah, they at least oh, want to pull your that. number, pull your bid up and take a take a look at it. Even and a second look actually, sometimes. And yeah. exactly. And and if you give them a reason then to consider it, which is when if you find an advantage, you list it. You say why you bid it this way. Um then it, get, it makes them just think for a second. You know, in that heated moment, they have to think, do I go with this number with these guys who always give me good, solid numbers, but they're $5,000 higher, but they also said this thing that they're looking at is worth 3800 bucks. So really it's $1,200 you know, right. now they're considering you have to, you're stopping them in the heat of the fire to consider something. And brand is a big part of that, Daniel, like you said. Yeah, well, you want them to, you want them to, to depending on what it is, right? The whole branding portion of it, like uh, it's, if they're looking at ours, they're like, oh, well, this is this price. And like, oh, well, these ones are like this, like, all right, what are they missing? Like, I know that this project, this is, they're bidding this because this is their strengths. This is what they do. This is what they're known known for. Um, and then over here is uh, they're not really known for that. But but so now they're missing something. Um, and and it's not a bad thing to have them look at it like that. And 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 hopefully they look at every project like that. Will it happen like that? Probably not. But that's okay. Um, well, like you said, I'll, it is I'll a competition to some extent. I'll give a plug to, I won't say the name, but we have a competitor that only does tile and man, when they are good, they're really good. They got, they do good installation. They're, they're a good company. Um, when they're bidding certain large tile, when certain large tile jobs are bid, we're, it's tough to beat them. Like they have that kind of nailed down um we get our fair share but it's just on these really particular tile type projects uh they're just known for doing it the way that it needs to be done so i've gotten i've lost a job or two to them even when i was low and that's not because i suck it's just because they've done that good so kudos they, to they've them. Earned, they've earned that. They've earned that. Then that's they, what it is. They've earned. We've that. been in that position too, to where you know we're considered the experts in you know what we do. So then you know when you're going through the post bids and stuff, they'll straight up tell you they're like, you guys weren't the low bid, but we sell them as as you know. Yes, you can go with them, but these are the potential issues that you might be. If you go with these guys, it's pretty much a hands off approach. As soon as they get on the the project you know exact everything is going to go and be installed exactly how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll win your, I mean, we all have our deals where we, you know, get chose over. Uh, we're not always low. Uh, that's for sure. A lot of times, but it's a service on the backside that you're talking about or the known for expertise, but it's just an example how it's not just, possible for one company i mean i have a company here that we battle with on those jobs that like i said you know they they'll get the nod on the big big tile jobs that are really complex you know olympic size pools that kind of stuff shower you know steam rooms off of it and and saunas and showers and and onto a pool deck and down into the pool and all <laughs> that I mean, we've done optoriums before or natatoriums before, but a lot of them, those guys are going to get. So anyway, just showing you that the branding is a big piece of your bidding being considered during bid day. And uh, so anybody new out there uh, in the audience that has, you know, um, wondered why some companies maybe win a lot of work and why others don't part of it's the branding and so i would you know take advice from a previous episode i wish i knew that episode number but we talked about branding and the importance of that in pretty good detail yes it's uh it's not who you know but it's who knows you um and it's become very uh 
very helpful over the last couple of years for 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 us uh, to kind of shift gears and have that different mindset. Um, but also, anybody out there who's got other ideas on some of that and other angles, like let us know. Like we're still learning too, man. Like we we're just we're just sharing what we what we know now and what works for us now. But man, like I'm open. I'd like to learn a lot more. Yeah, and and. I think we're, one of the things that's really been kind of special about this podcast is we, that's the attitude of the podcast. Like we want to learn too. And we'd love more interaction live on the podcast. Thank you for everybody who comments and likes our stuff on oh yeah, 100%. media networks, but uh, we'd love for you to come on and listen to us and chime in with some q a uh you know be heard and um it can it can make the podcast bring people sometimes bring up different questions than than what we can think of in our in our uh you know in the heat of the moment here but so i encourage you this is my plug to like and subscribe us if on our uh youtube if that's where you're consuming it or if you're catching out one of our social channels or one of preferred flooring social channels, please give it a thumbs up, you know, drop a comment in. Uh, maybe you agreed with some of this. Maybe you didn't, maybe you disagreed. Maybe uh, you can way, something, start, right? That's, that's what yeah, it's all start about. The conversation. So maybe you have the most bomb uh, bid form out there that nobody knows about. And you're willing to share some of that information uh, with the industry. Right. And you just you just had that you're sitting on it is is burning a hole in your pocket. You need to share it. And you just give us a call and help us out, man. Like we'll we'll share your brand. You share some information. Come on now. Let's just let's, <laughs> let's, let's scratch each other's backs, man. Like we're all in this together at, to, to some extent, right? Yeah, well, there there is a um element of of uh, all of us flooring guys trying to band together. And I, I think you see that when you go to the conferences, you know, I just got back from two pretty much back to back from Fuse Alliance, which I'm a Fuse member in, in our area, and then uh, FCICA. And they were both great, a lot of, a lot of great learning opportunities, but that's also where you can do some of these um, discovery discussions with other flooring companies who are more than happy to help you so all right guys anything closing out on kind of bidding post kind of getting your quantities and estimates from whether you again just as a refresher you can outsource this thing now there's very professional companies doing it um one Bad case quantify was yep she can help Bad you out case. a ton yeah, she, she was on and went through a lot of stuff. I think that was a really, I hope a lot of people have watched that because that's, that was a really good episode, I think. And I think if you pair that with this, you'll kind of get the big concepts on how to best estimate and then um, produce your proposal to your client. Yeah, I think, you know, just closing out, it's uh take nuggets from everyone that you talk to just like we did and include those in your inclusions and exclusions. Cause like I said, everyone's going to want you, if they don't want you to do moisture testing, you got to let them know that it still needs to be done, whether it's in the documents <laughs> or not, because you're liable. As soon as you start installing, if you don't ask for results or anything, that's you, you just bought that if anything happens in most cases. Yeah. And the reason that is just to build on that for a quick second is because it may not specifically say moisture testing, but what is it going to say is that like there's language typically in a set of specs to say, you know, once you start installing except is indication of acceptance. Of acceptance. Yep. Right. So there's, there's these little clauses everywhere throughout the documents that'll end up catching you anyway. So take Daniel's and, advice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the other one is and, um, the, the cos the floor prep being only cosmetic because, you know, once you read over the specs and everything and know your standards because they'll, they'll stay in there. It, it, 
sometimes it doesn't say anything. It just says floor prep to ASTM F710 standards. And then you're are automatically required to know that. So um, yeah, do some research. Yeah. Just, just know uh, your that standards and know that the, prep is cosmetic only. That document um, is probably the closest thing that the resilient side has that I think it's leaned on a lot. And all it is oh, is prep. Lot. That's it. <laughs> a lot. Um, I guess guess for me is if I were sharing advice with anybody, I would say don't be afraid to ask questions, even if you have to question yourself, right? Like if you miss it and you submit it, man, you missed it and you submitted it, man. Like uh, uh, don't rush through it. If you don't, if you don't have enough time to dedicate to doing a large bid um, after the estimate is done, then just don't try to rush it. Just say, you know what? Call that time as learning experiences or experience period and move on to the next one, man. Like at there's no sense in rushing At least until yeah, you're comfortable. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be some times you stretch that out. We certainly skirt the line sometimes on, you know, should we bid this or should we not? And maybe walking away. Um, but once you've been doing it long enough, you can make some educated guesses uh, I wouldn't, I, I fully recommend going in with full <laughs> knowledge, but every once in a while, especially on branded jobs where you've done 30 of those hotels in the last five years right. or something, and you got some questions, you can go off of your experience and say, okay, I'm pretty sure this is going to how is how it's going to be. And go ahead in that case then, and do what I was talking about earlier, put it on your bid form you figured it this way because there was no documentation telling you and so you figured it this way um, so we do have a question from linkedin right here from eric he says estimating and quantifying materials are not equal any thoughts on why our industry by and large has salespeople handling the pricing of jobs other trades and gcs rely on estimators to put numbers together but in the flooring world it seems like an estimator's role ends with the takeoff yeah, I, that's a tough one. I know plenty of companies have salespeople. We, all of our bids in our company is produced with either project managers or mm -hmm. estimators and then still reviewed by a project manager or project executive, because I feel like you have to have somebody with applicable knowledge to getting work done, produce the bid, you know, yeah, not that just a salesman trying to sell something. And right. if you get on Facebook and read, the salesmen are the most- That's, that's what I was going to get into because you go on there and it's like on some of these groups, they're like, sell, 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 worry about everything else later. And it's like, yeah. and, and, don't care about anything that goes into the project. It's just what you said. They, they're just basing it on knowledge from something else that they've done. So if you just throw a number at it and it sticks, hey, you just won the job and then- that's when, you know, you have all these installers complaining, hey, you missed this. There's no transitions. Yeah. You can include any floor prep. Uh, this material shouldn't be installed here. It's like there, there's so much that goes into it. And the salesmen are just sell, sell, sell. And then that's where the, that fine line is between people like us that are trying to include everything and not miss anything. And then you got those people that are just here's a number, accept it, and then try and get change orders later. So, and, and you know what, uh, and I know we said this in closing a long time ago. No, let's go. That, that is, um, you're, you get 100% correct on all, all of that. As, uh, there is a difference between a salesman and the bid process, right? Like if you have a salesman who is uh, uh, from start to finish, you're only the customer or the client or the end user's only point of contact there's going to be a lot of information that isn't going to be uh, relayed uh, and, and it's going to be missed. And not only that, there's going to be a disconnect from the installation crew and the salesman too, because, because they're not always going to be on the same page. So no, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, no, I get it. And, and, and just to add to that is recently um, I just had to have it because we are labor. We do labor only for some other uh, stores too. Uh, and recently I had to have a conversation and send an email out to a salesperson that was 
once he sold the job, he was done, 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 right? Didn't follow up, didn't do anything. And I'm sorry, but that doesn't fly with me, bro. Like, it's your job to communicate with the client. It's your job to do all this. I give you the information, but if you don't relay any of it, I can't talk final numbers with your client or the client at all. Like, that's supposed to be you, right? And, and that's where it was very obvious the disconnect from salesperson with zero flooring experience as far as the install, the processes, um, and the length of time to someone who installs and works on the sales side as well. Yeah. So in short, we don't have anybody with the title sales salesman or salesperson in our company. We have a business developer who goes out and finds opportunities and 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 talks with uh, you know developers and general contractors and architects and <clears throat> drums up new business but salesmen we don't have one because to me the the person's salesman and what i was saying when i rudely interrupted you was <laughs> a salesman <laughs> their their job title's done when the sales done right salesman right. Like you want a manager or an executive putting those numbers out. Uh, any manager that approves uh, a bid in our company, they're the ones who end up having to manage the job. And that's because they know we, you know, we know that that's going to put in their head. Like I can't just scrum through this thing real fast because I'm the one that's going to have to deal with any problems that come on the backside of winning the job and getting, doing the project. So, oh. you know, having the manager involved from the beginning, we have estimators, but even our estimators don't just send out numbers. They quantify, they'll put the bid together, but then it has to go across the PM or project executive's desk for full approval and review. So uh, Eric did say, good answer, Paul. Love the collaborative approach. Definitely tough in the meat grinder that is bidding on a daily basis. And it is, it's, it's tough out there. That's and, a good uh, way to put it, Eric. <laughs> Jorge says that that's when he he's glad that he he measures his own projects and stuff, so he doesn't have to rely on someone measuring short. And uh, when you physically do the job, you know exactly the entire process of how to put that puzzle piece together. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's nice if you do. It's just so it's more frequent in residential, obviously, to get out and measure the job. Uh, some commercial, you get the opportunity i'd say 20 percent of our jobs we get to field measure um but are you going to go through and field measure a hundred and fifty five thousand foot elementary school yeah yeah that's that's probably not going to happen yeah uh, you might go and verify a couple of dimensions um yeah, but that's you, about you might it. measure some some classrooms but you're you know measuring yeah. the whole thing by hand out in the field yeah, gets, can get tough back uh, in the day Probably would have happened by me, right? Go with my color pencils and my little graph paper and my ruler. Man, not to say, not to say that it, it wouldn't be a better way to do it. It's just the time-consuming nature of of measuring something that you may <laughs> not field measuring something on a large scale that you may not get awarded. You know, yeah. you're you're a you're investing a fair amount of time compared to doing a takeoff off of a set of drawings. So a lot of times if I do go out to the field, I'll take a couple of key measurements and ask them, even if they have a coded floor plan, may not be to scale, but I can set it to scale and measure square right. and use my field yeah. measurements and take them from different parts of the building. Maybe I get five or six or eight measurements and then apply that to that drawing. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's what I do now. Back in the day, no, nah, I'm just going to go measure everything. <laughs> Uh, I like technology now ish. Sometimes yeah. I hate it. I still, I appreciate it when it works. When it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot out there. Again, just to recap this proposals and in some consistent format, make sure you're including, uh, you know, you're putting in your exclusions, specifically what you're excluding. We just a little note on ours where we have job specific exclusions. It's because we found when we added something to our standard exclusions, it was it it was just a word or two and it would get overlooked. Because it's in the same spot, same 
exclusion spot uh, as all the other bids. So we added a spot for job specific exclusions. So maybe a remodel, we're going to specifically exclude moving. And that's where we'd put that kind of thing. And our standard exclusions is always, you know, excessive, unforeseen floor prep, you know, and we go through all that stuff. Final cleaning, protection of floors, um, that kind of stuff. So, so making your bid somewhat consistent. If you can find some nuggets from by using the industry knowledge, whether it's, you know, ASTM F710 for resilient or the TCNA handbook for tile uh, or something in CFI's stuff for carpet uh, or the carpet and rug institute even right. something that gives you like this strategic yeah. advantage because of knowledge and it doesn't it's not a discrepancy in the drawings it's something that brings you a, a nugget in knowledge so you know take advantage of those opportunities to win a job and um you know, don't be scared to change orders if they're warranted. I mean. Yeah, you ain't yeah. going to pay for everything that changes on a project. Don't don't think that you're going to just, this is the number and I'm not going to change anything. I, ju I just had a bid to where uh, it right in the spec, it said that no change orders are going to be allowed. And as soon as they accepted ours, something happened. And it was like, well, we're going to need a change order. And they were like, okay. Things happen. Sometimes it's things out of your control and just know that don't let anyone bully you to take money out of your pocket when you know it's warranted that it's not your fault, especially. Yeah. Just remember it's a business. You're in business. You're not, it's not a popularity contest. You know, you're not, you want to have a good reputation and a good relationship with everybody. But at the end of the day, you you have to do what's right for your employees, do what's right for your industry, do what's right for your business and what's right for yourself. So, you know, if you kind of look at it that way, you're doing your employees a disservice in many instances if you're taking these change orders. And there's always going to be some negotiating. Sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. But for the most part, just don't look at change orders as a terrible thing. And also don't look at them as a way to just put this rock bottom BS number in and then think you're going to go change order your way to profit. Don't do it that way either. That's unethical from the start. If you're underbidding a job and you think you're going to come in and, and, and become profitable through change orders, that's ridiculous. Bid the job appropriately, but don't be scared of valid change orders. They're, they're necessary in our business, in our building practices. I just want to know, let, let everyone know that when before we started this, we said that this was going to be a really quick one, and then we ended up going the full time anyways. And uh, FCI Magazine did just put out their, an article online about the episodes that we have coming on this month. So go on there, see which one that you want to listen to. Definitely join the Zoom or you know any social medias and Come and ask questions. Thank you for everyone that uh, is on here saying hello, Dirk, Jorge, um, Kelly, Eric. You know, we got. Yeah, we love it. We, we appreciate it. the thanks, feedback. Thanks for, thanks for the support. Yep. Yeah, and just so you guys know, I'm always on LinkedIn or any socials looking at your guys' work too. Like, ooh, ah, I love it. He's so, probably on LinkedIn yeah, a lot more than me. I, I'll have like 8,000 notifications by the time yeah, I click I on the, the app, which is horrible. I should probably be better about that. <laughs> I think I can do better too, my friend. All right, guys. Well, that brings us to the end. I want to uh, echo what Daniel just said. And and Jose is, hey, thanks everybody for joining us. Thank you. I really do appreciate the feedback. And we, it feeds us, it gives us a reason. We're on episode, what, 41, 42? 42. 42, so, yeah. You know, we're here. Uh, we're going to continue to be here and your guys' participation makes it all worth it. And we hope that you grab some nuggets out of these conversations and feel free to reach out to us and uh, come on sometime. Uh, when Eduardo, you see those episodes that's on FCI Magazine's list that you may want to be on, uh, you know, reach out to, <laughs> to support at Go Carrera. Eduardo says, is there an, another Apple Watch this time? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but we'll probably put out some uh some more notice for the next giveaway. I'm sure there'll be something popping up. Yep. All right, guys. Once again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And as thank always, yeah, um, I've learned some stuff. So we'll see you guys next Tuesday and uh, chat in between. Sounds good. Take it easy. Good one, everyone. Thanks. Bye, guys.